Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you decide on working for a company, or building a business. How do you know if you have picked the right industry? On today's episode of the Humane Podcast, our guest speaker, Travis Dirks, shares how hacking your mental models can level up your decisions, how artificial intelligence has spawned a sister field known as amplified intelligence, and why moonshot companies could be the next big thing. Listen in today on Humane. This is Humane, a weekly podcast focused on bridging the gap between humans and machines in this age of acceleration. My name is David Jakobovich, and on this podcast, I interview experts in sociology, psychology, artificial intelligence, researchers on consumer-facing products, and consumer-facing companies to help audiences better understand AI and its many capabilities. If you like the show, remember to subscribe and leave a review. So I think everything's really big this week, right? And this month, one thing that's really big in your world is moonshots. And that's something I think that our audience would be really interested in. I know we had a startup that just valued at a record 90 plus billion dollars. And is Uber a moonshot or what is this? Let's debunk this for the audience. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a moonshot. Our definition of moonshot at X Labs is that which changes your perception of what's possible. It should push out the boundaries of possibility. I think Uber is one in a almost scary long line of startups that are more like um, basically guys trying to get girls <laughs> and building businesses around it. And so if that is that startup, right, which we're seeing in the market and it's, it's changes that it's evolved, right? I mean, you know, now there's a new CEO, a lot of new change management. So I think Uber's restructured as a company that's finally gone public, which is great. But 
more about moonshots. You know, I think when I studied in college, you know, one of my favorite things was case competitions and, you know, hackathons and what's the next big idea. And occasionally when I'll hear different keynotes throughout the year, I'll hear them from people like Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin and even Virgin Galactic and a lot of these, what you would think as moonshot companies, because they're literally talking about getting to the moon, like actually getting into the stratosphere. But what's some examples of that with X-Labs? Well, we develop moonshots along three different themes. So our goal is over the course of the next 10 to 15 years through a series of startups in each theme to kind of change those aspects of the world. So the first of those is we call it amplifying genetics. It's um, really a panomics type approach to can we start taking sort of sick care to health care and then taking a real look at what's after that? What does it mean to be more healthy than a normal human being? The other is creative destruction of the internet, where we're looking at um, how do we create companies that create a more direct value proposition between the supplier and the person who's consuming it so that they're happy to pay for it and we can get rid of this sort of strange three-way incentives that we have with the sort of clickbait ecosystem. And the last one is culture as a technology. This is sort of a two-sided coin. It's really about taking the technology that is, you know, in our cell phones and has gotten so good at drawing us into it and trying to turn that manipulation tech on its head and teach it to help better connect us. Or on the other side of the coin, how do we teach it to help us drive where we want to go? And so if we're starting on this example of, you know, talking about Uber, which has been the big story of, I think, almost 10 years for for them to go public. And, you know, they've been in talks here in May 2019, also with Neuro, a major company in Silicon Valley, about, you know, self-delivering groceries and needs for those, you know, who might not have the opportunity. So you know, how can we get better connected? Is this is self-driving part of that solution? I suppose it could be part of the solution in the sense of um, sort of freeing up that travel time to have actual human conversations between people. But I think ultimately it's about finding some way to force ourselves to do things that are a little uncomfortable and that the technology as it exists today have allowed us to shy away from and get by without doing those uncomfortable things of, you know, actually learning to interact as people. And that's the hard part is, I wish I could credit the name. He did a great job of making the distinction, but essentially the distinction between sort of happiness versus sort of pleasure-seeking type feelings in a kind of long-term versus short-term differences. And I think a lot of our products are so geared towards that short-term pleasure-seeking, this makes me happy right now. We're really trying to take a hard look at how do you build products that are also going to be billion-dollar companies, but also are for your kind of long-term good and are helping you do the things that you wish you would do and, you know, the sort of things that you're glad you did on your deathbed looking back, right? So one of those ideas on happiness versus pleasure-seeking, um, I recently read more about. This is actually around Alexa, which is the Amazon product for voice recognition. And when it was becoming a minimum viable product, the team of engineers actually met with Jeff Bezos and, and they said, we're, we're so excited. We think we can get the audio latency down to two and a half seconds. We think this is incredible. People are going to love this. And Jeff responded and he said, if you can't get this down to one second, don't even bother trying. 
Like that you have to have some uncomfort and some engineering, you know, breakthroughs to make that worth it. And so I think that's one example that's interesting as, as Alexa's gone, you know, from a novelty idea to something that's being mass adopted in consumer homes all across the world. And that's a technology that is getting us better connected, if you will, in some ways, better than others. I want to hear more about, you know, what's happening at X Labs. You know, are there any of the technologies that are getting you most excited about that your companies are working on or that you're seeing as a good trend right now? We're not much for trends. We tend to be sort of internally focused. We're working on a couple of exciting things. One is we're building the sort of uh, the core infrastructure. It's called X-Core. It's basically a meta-learning AI engine pipeline that learns to build other AIs. It's a core infrastructure that allows our our data scientists to kind of step up a level, if you will, and think on that kind of meta level of how can I improve the system so that I can attack all these problems at once. Or while I'm attacking this one problem, the things that we learned are automatically being propagated down the line to everything else we've ever cared about so that the engine can alert us to improvements. So trying to take that, um, there's a lot of art in this process of building AI right now and trying to remove some of the art that's related to just the fact that you need to have the right human who has the right past experience having their eyes on the problem. So that's one thing. And in the process of doing that, we're working on some genetics data that has to do with predicting cancer. I'm afraid I'm not afraid I'm not free to talk about those results yet, but they are quite exciting. And I think what's exciting is even though that's still research in the process, you know, you're talking about amplifying genetics, having creative destruction of the internet, and having culture as a technology. And X-Core sounds like the beginning of that for this data scientist, you know, the new sexiest job of the century. Everyone keeps talking about these data scientists, but the truth is a lot of products are helping them start to automate processes, perhaps of what you're looking at to create more coherent and better structured data science and AI. And one term I know that you've spoken about on your podcast and work is mental model arbitrage. Would that have any relationship here or can you let our listeners know more about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Mental model arbitrage is a very core concept for us. It's essentially the idea of going to other fields, intentionally seeking out their best ideas, their best models, their best tools, intentionally generalizing them to see where else you can apply them. So if you look at most major breakthroughs in history, it's not this kind of straight line. No one would think to build the vacuum tube, for example, if their goal was a computer, right? You had to go through that stage where somebody wanted to study electrons. What are these electron things? <laughs> you know, who's that guy? Uh, I always forget this guy. I think his last name was Penny. But if, if this random guy working near a magnetron didn't have the sandwich in his pocket, we don't have a microwave, right? So mental model arbitrage is the process of trying to make that intentional. And it happens at a lot of different levels. It happens, you know, with me as a human, just sort of exploring different topics and trying to do it from both sides of a problem, but it can also happen at this AI level. So this is where the meta part of the meta learning engine comes in. We're trying to build AIs that are able to take in characteristics about a particular target, about the data that's available to it, and start to make educated guesses based on what's it seen in the past about what sort of a pipeline it should have, what sort of a pre-pipeline, how should I transform this data, what type of algorithm is likely to be useful, 
for this type of a target and start to make those decisions for us. I think what's so fascinating about Xcore and this meta AI engine you're building at Xlabs is exactly what you just mentioned about mental model arbitrage. That, for example, data science and AI, it's this industry that, although there's a lot of hype, there is a lot of reality. And this industry can be applied across all industries, right? So whether it's genetics, whether it's the internet, whether it's culture as a technology, there's going to be a lot of may I use the word disruption there, that, that's going to occur. And it is, I think, as you also mentioned, Travis, about the long run, right? What is a 10 to 15 year plus goal? Something like 5G has been in development for many, many years. Just now it's getting into nascency. So a lot of that is interesting. I think the biggest thing that's holding AI back right now from the kind of, uh, we all kind of feel that we're, we're on the verge of something. It's sort of happening and we know it's going to change the world but it's sort of not happening as fast as it feels like it ought to. And I think the major reason for that is whether you're working with machine learning or you're working with AI, if you've actually got in there and trained some algorithms and seen how they work, what I see as a, as a scientist, so I'm a physicist by background, is this is very clearly a process that was built by someone who was trying to show that the algorithm could do what, it, what they thought it would do. As opposed to being built with the assumption that it will do its job, what can we learn about the world? And so that's a lot of the work we're trying to do is how do you start to think about that from that other aspect? These algorithms work. We're not trying to prove that we can train them a thousand times and they'll behave similarly. We're trying to really dig out what can we learn about the world. And so learning about the world could be considered an intelligence. You know, again, the phrase AI is very much artificial intelligence and Products are changing over time. I think we've seen in the past couple of years how a lot of these games, the classic board games that everyone's been hearing about with AI that, oh, now the system's able to win at chess and checkers and Go and Dota too. So you're seeing a learning type phenomenon. But is that the learning you're talking about or something else? It's a good question. I think it's definitely something else. The question is, is it the same sort of algorithm that will be able to do this something else? But I'm very much interested in applying these algorithms outside to the real world. And in particular, I'm interested in something that we call internally amplified intelligence. So I've had a lot of experience trying to explain to people who are not in the field, what is AI? <laughs> and sort of if they go to 10 people, they'll get 10 different answers. But I think if you kind of stand back and you look at what everyone's talking about, AI is essentially the attempt to duplicate sort of things that come easy to human beings. So can you, can you see, can you hear, can you walk, can you navigate in the world? Can you hold a conversation? That's sort of the field of AI. And we're really more interested in the space of things that, that are not easy for humans and also are not easy for computers. And we call this amplified intelligence. And the way that we get there is right now we've sort of imagined two ways to get there. One is this intentional process of mental model arbitrage of sort of yanking in this, this mathematical knowledge that we have from the physical sciences and augmenting existing AI with it. That's what we did with our previous company, for example. We could predict black swan type events. The other is untried, but I have a hypothesis that an interesting way to go about that might be to work on a sort of embodied AI. So I think that... Um, 
once we're able to actually develop an intelligence, developing an intelligence that has different senses than we do will provide it for a different intelligence than we have. And uh, just to go back to that, what you're observing about the games and that habit we have of, uh, it's a very human habit, isn't it? Moving the goalposts. If an AI can play chess, it will be intelligent. <laughs> if it can play Go, it will be intelligent. And I think it's kind of fun to think about what is the, what is the limit of that argument and what happens when, when we can pass all Turing-type tests we can imagine, but we know how the thing works and we're still not quite comfortable with calling it intelligent. And what does that do to our philosophy about ourselves and our own consciousness? And a lot of that goes back to the physical sciences, right? If you can explore the world around us and what is evident based on science, perhaps some of that can be proven. Travis, you mentioned about Black Swan. And, you know, a few years back, I, I was out in Berkeley. I actually met with Radhika, right? So we actually met and spoke about a lot of those events, the work that she was doing out in Hawaii and the physical sciences as well. So it's great to see a lot of that, you know, work. You've had some outcomes there. And what were, for what you could speak about, what were some of those outcomes that evolved to now having emerged into now X Labs, your new venture that's been going on as you could say a new kind of Bell Labs? So X-Core is really an evolution, uh, sort of rebuilding in a more general way of what we built at Selden. And it was that engine that allowed us to make some of those sort of stunning predictions. We had, I believe there were 77 targets that we could predict with our own criteria, which was uh, we needed to be able to have at least a two-thirds precision for, and these are events that only happen about 7% of the time. So quite rare events that we're trying to predict. Things like, will there be a labor strike in this country in this month? Will the commodity prices make a large jump in one direction or another? Will a certain type of violence break out in the country? That sort of a thing. And the, I think what was new about the approach that we took was we had, to, we had to admit that we did not know if we would be able to predict any of these things. And we did not know what sort of data would be useful in predicting those things. So that required us to build something that could take a look at all of it and then come back and tell us what are we able to predict. I mean, well, all of that was hard, but the next hard piece that you have to do is not fool yourself, right? So we really had to take another look at validation. Validation on targets that are rare is, is obviously very difficult. You can get a lot of randomness fooling you. So that was a lot of the breakthrough that allowed us to do that. Now we're coming back and we're saying, okay, there we made a very intentional, we sort of knew that the knowledge that's inside of this field called complexity physics would be useful. Now we're coming back and we're saying, there's probably a lot of knowledge in a lot of human fields that will be useful for all kinds of things. How do we build this X-Core such that as we're working on particular projects, we can try to grab the knowledge that we think will be useful build it in the engine, and then have it propagate across everything we're interested in to see where it's useful. A sort of um, mining of human knowledge, if you will. You know, as you're talking about hard problems and hard things to solve, you know, it reminds me actually of Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, right? So yeah. whether it's on the business side, the tech side, the problem side, it sounds like what you're doing at XCore is trying to dive into these problems that could forever make positive change for our world. You know, we look at examples 
of what have recently happened in Venezuela in the past month. There was an attempt for a country-led coup, if you will, like these labor strikes that you talk about, predicting these very rare, these almost black swan events that could be like for those who've watched on Netflix, the, the movie Bandersnatch, right? Choosing your own adventure, these rare events that can take you down different pathways based on your previous decisions and how those decisions impact future outcomes. I think what is interesting is you're mentioning now that you're working on all these new opportunities in genetics, in disrupting the internet, in culture and technology. And those are very hard problems to solve, let alone just defining those problems. And you know, one of the big issues there that we previously have connected on is about the investment in those fields is not as high as other hot topics like AI, if you will. I think we as a sort of species drastically underinvest in these sorts of things. Sort of moonshots in general, I think we'd probably all be a lot better off if as a society we're investing a lot more in them. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is I think it goes back to it goes back to the way that you pursue these sorts of problems is makes them very difficult to manage. When it's tough to define exactly where you're headed, it's really tough to define, you know, a key metric that a manager can decide, is this the group that I should be giving money to or should it go to another group? And so I think we see a lot less investment in these things, less because there's this lack of a broad understanding that we should invest in it. I think a lot of people sort of understand that. And more because there's a lot of weight put on the guy in the middle who has to decide where the investment goes and has to make it appear that he's made a rational decision. Unfortunately, these aren't uh, things that you can sort of rationalize in a spreadsheet. It's the nature of a hard problem that, why do we call things hard problems, right? We call them hard problems because a lot of really smart people have been trying to tackle them for a long time. And the thing that we can take from that as fact is whatever the sane thing to try is, is not the thing that's going to solve the problem. <laughs> so we can know that, but that doesn't help the guy in the middle who has to decide where the dollars get doled out. And speaking about where the dollars get doled out, it, I can't help you know hopping back to the Uber example. I know it's not a moonshot example in the classic sense. The scenario is about the hard thing about work is putting in time, and it takes many years to see an effort. And a lot of data scientists today and a lot of people in the new tech economy are always thinking, what company can I join that will be the next moonshot? And that classic example was, you know, Ryan Graves at Uber, right? He actually discovered Uber and joined the company based on a tweet that Travis Kalchak had uh, posted about who wants to work for Uber. And just so happened that Ryan committed about 10 years of his life, got 2.6% equity, and now made a lot of money. And so, you know, if you're someone who's looking to work for a moonshot, perhaps be a CEO of a, a company coming out of X Labs or be a researcher who's going to, you know, take one of those to market, how would you get started there? I personally think it's got to be something that, uh, you're really motivated to do intrinsically. It's got to be that you're driven by, it sounds cliche, but you've got to be driven by the journey because there's a good chance that 10 years from now, the journey might be all you have. <laughs> so um, make sure that that journey is worth it to you. That's what I would say. The other thing is in, in terms of people that we work with, generally we're looking for people that have some, some very deep expertise in something, preferably something relevant if they're going to be working at X Labs proper, 
something relevant to AI, machine learning, cloud computing, some kind of deep expertise there. If you're looking to be a CEO of a company that we're spinning out, then we're looking for someone that has deep vertical expertise in one of the markets that fits within these three themes that I described. And then we're looking for evidence that your person who has the ability to take their expertise outside of where it lives. So that you also have this breadth of interests. And when you're not talking about the particular thing that you're an expert in, you're kind of like your eyes are still lit up and you're still in the conversation. You don't just sort of shut down because, oh, this isn't the thing that I care about. Because that ability to this mental model arbitrage piece is very important for these type of problems. So we're really looking for that um, surprisingly rare skill. Right. And, you know, if you're someone who had that expertise, you know, I've, I've spoken actually uh, being in the startup scene, I've spoken with founders like yourself who have similar initiatives in New York City as well. And I think the conversation always gets down to not just you have the expertise, you have the interest, but what are you really interested in? Are you interested in creating or producing? And perhaps that's somewhat about the future of work. I know you've uh, spoken about that uh, before on your podcast. Wanted to hear a little bit about that, Travis. Yeah, I guess one thing that you just triggered me on is um, something that I realized about myself personally in the last company that I worked on is that in terms of like intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation, there's sort of like, I think there's sort of two types of entrepreneurs. Watch out, false dichotomy. (laughs) You've got this sort of um, the showman. I call this person the showman because their concern is with the customer, which is properly where your concern should be with when you're an entrepreneur. But then there's sort of the artist and their concern tends to be with the product. It's less about what does the human in front of me want? And it's more about what should this thing ultimately be when the world wakes up to what it ought to want? (laughs) I think that I realized at the last company that I'm much more of the artist. I'm much more of this is where the technology needs to go. And that's one reason that we've built X-Labs in the way that we've built it, because ultimately when a company is going to market, you want a showman in charge of it. So that's why we have this structure where you've got the people who have the ability to make these deep technical breakthroughs. They tend to be more of this artist type. And so we've intentionally tried to build this structure that allows these two types of people to work together and in the strongest way possible. Do you think they're exclusive, right? This journey we go on, say we go through 10 years for a company, hope it's a moonshot. Are we going to be exclusive and you know, either one of these fields, or is it possible that it's a blended journey that ambitious people can work on ambitious projects in both sides? I think no matter what side you think you're on, it's going to be blended. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I think the, the difficulty is when you don't know which one you are, and when you're not sort of driving your life accordingly. Warren Buffett has a saying, he talks about his circle of competence when he's investing. And he says, it doesn't matter how big my circle is. It just matters that I know where the line is and I stay inside of it. I think it's kind of similar. When you ultimately want to do artist things, but you're driving your life like a showman, I think you run into problems in making it through that 10 years. Does that make sense? That's definitely the right balance that you hear about all the time. And I think universally, across work and the future of work as we're moving into this work 2.0 society, which is digitally transformed with remote culture and um, super jobs and all these new opportunities. 
is creating potentially a lot of anxiety in people as they're going through that journey of, do you want to be the showman, but you're actually working as the artist? Or do you want to work as the Mm -hmm. artist, but you've been positioned in a showman role? So one of the hobbies that I have to keep myself sane (laughs) is um, vaudeville strongman type things. So training to bend steel and, you know, put nails through boards and things like that. And one of the sort of deep truths that I ran into in speaking with one of my mentors was that in terms of the priority lists, you know, are you focusing on your program? Are you focusing on your sleep? Are you focusing on what you're eating? Are you focusing on what supplements? And he said, ultimately, what you're focusing on is, will you still be doing this five years from now? Because that is top level what matters. Are you continuing to do that kind of deep practice for long periods of time that turns you into the sort of human that can do impressive things. And so that gave me a really interesting lens to look at the things that I pursuing in a deep way, the things that I plan on making a major impact on the world. in. you've got to lay that layer on top of it of, am I doing this in a way that's sustainable for me? That's sustainable, whether for yourself, Travis, and, and your team is in the culture as a technology, the genetic discovery, the disrupting the internet, uh, those industries, or elsewhere for even listeners on The Humane Show, is about seeking long-term happiness is what I'm hearing as as an outcome here, instead of that immediate instant gratification, pleasure-seeking culture that the world has moved towards. Yeah, absolutely. Kahneman talks about the two types of brains, type one, type two, I think very much lean towards that sort of that reflecting that future past brain. <laughs> Am I happy with myself on reflection? I think that kind of makes sense because that you is the only one that's a little bit stable. The you in the moment that's happy with the chocolate milk you're drinking, he's not going to be the same five minutes from now. <laughs> I think for a future episode of The Humane, we could perhaps even talk more on the genetics with our Uh, gut biomes, because a lot of cutting edge research in 2018 and 2019 has been showing that even our personalities and how we behave and how we act is a lot a result of what's going on there to these little critters that uh, we're feeding. But uh, (laughs) that could be another fun topic. Uh, Travis, thanks so much for being with us here today on The Humane Show. And I can't wait to hear more what's being built at X-Labs. Yeah, hopefully we we don't get to the point where we're Uh, recommending fecal transplants from our mentors. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Humane. I'm David Jakobovich. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll talk to you in the next one. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.